Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Greetings from Teaneck. I'm here for weekend as a scholar resident at the shul here, staying with my good friends the Adlers, Lee and Jonathan Adler. But soon it's going to be Shabbos, so I better leave something on this Parsha, Parsha Vera, which is a very vivid Parsha, uh, because it kind of brings out, at least to my thinking, very interesting aspects of what we call rationalism and the rationalistic interpretation of the Torah of the Scriptures, because... At the beginning of the parsha, as everybody knows, this is by Gabriel Ahimo Moshe by Yomri Leba and the other night. That in the beginning, God speaks to Moshe harshly by Gabriel Ahimo Moshe. That's Midas Adin. God screaming at him, and then in the middle, by Yomri Leba and the other night, Hashem switches totally. Sort of like a parent. Sometimes you lose your temper, and then all of a sudden you change. But how do you say it about God? It's an interesting question. Rashi touches on it, but he doesn't quote the full matters. I've done the matters so many times I can do it by heart. I think. And the Medrash at the beginning of Vayera goes as follows, that they quote a Pusik, I think from Kohelis, where Risanich Liros Ponisi Liros Chochma Besichos I saw a wisdom combined with a stupidity. How do you have wisdom combined with stupidity? So they say that this Pusik applies to Shlomo Melch and to Moshe Rabbeinu. How so? Shlomo Melch is an interesting person. Obviously, he said he was the, the, the wisest and smartest person, biggest Talmud Chacham, too, if you go by all the different Chazals. And he had a Nevu at one point. And yet, he seems to be a serial violator of all the laws that apply to a king. The Torah, as we all know, says a king should not have too many wives, should not have too much gold and silver, should not have too many horses and things of that nature. No, the king should not live the life of Donald Trump. And yet, Shlomo Melch proceeded to do precisely that. It's like he went down the list. Not too many wives, they have a thousand wives. Not too many horses, they have a ton of horses, and so on and so forth. So why did he do that? doesn't make any sense. The psukim um, in the Book of Malachim don't tell you why. So it's a very fascinating matter, which ascribes it to his rationalism. Because, again, I'm going by heart over here, but I think I'm right. Shlomo Melch said, what is the reason the Torah says a king shouldn't live too high in the hog? Uh, because the Torah is like this, in order his heart should not become arrogant, he shouldn't get too arrogant because he's living too high. Not to depart from the mitzvah with the commandment right or left, or as we say today, not to go off the derech. And Shlomo said, since the Torah tells me that the reason for the prohibition is to avoid arrogance and uh, going off the derech, I can handle it. I will be able to have a lot of these things that the Torah is not supposed to have. And in spite of that, since I know what to watch out for, it won't work, it won't happen to me. On the Arab, I can have a lot of horses, wives, and gold and silver. Believe me, my heart will not go astray. Of course, what happened, we all know that, that it was the opposite. <clears throat> it goes to tell you in the book of Malachim that when Shlomo got a little older, his wives led by the time the story's over, he's idol worshiper and building churches on the Mount of Olives across the street from the base of Megish where they um, cemetery is today that we all know about and even if he didn't do it directly the Chazal say well he let them build it he didn't build he let them build it even so just imagine 
if on the place where we call Harizasim, which have all these famous Kavarim, imagine a whole bunch of temples and churches to this God and that God. They list them off in the Book of Malachim. And so, yes, he built the base of Migdash for the Shalom, and he built a lot of other base of Migdashes for other gods. And smack in of Jerusalem. And I can tell you this, if you take a look at the Book of Malachim, the thing of Malachim, these churches or temples were not removed for four or five hundred years. They were not removed until the time of King Yoshio, which is near the end of the first base of Migdash period. So think, think about that. For centuries, he had kings who were from, like Yoshava and Chizki and others, and those churches were still operating across the street, across the valley from the base of Migdash. It's kind of remarkable. And you can just imagine what kind of a moral and deleterious effect it had upon the people. And by the time the process is over, the prophets tell us, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is not only a place where the base of Migdash is located, it's all where you have Baal, Asherah, you have human sacrifices, you have a place called Gay Ben Hinnom, which is not too far away from the base of Migdash, where they do the killing of the children and the screaming and all the rest of it. All due to these churches and practices introduced by Shlomo Melech, which means he has a big black mark on his record. And I remember Shimon Yochai says in the matter of if Shlomo Melech was around today and he saw how his record was stained with these comments, he would have preferred to have been a ditch digger and others not be a famous person. So the bottom line is his uh, rationalizing of the mitzvahs. That is to say, his interpretation of the mitzvahs is a means to an end, because a rationalization of the Torah means that everything there is, can be explained on the basis of reason. So if there are laws in the Torah, like keeping kosher, keeping Shabbos, and a hundred and other things, shotness, they have reasons behind them. God doesn't just doesn't do it arbitrarily for no reason whatsoever. There's a reason behind it. Problem is, if the reason behind it, then I don't have to do the mitzvah. Just go for the, the idea behind it. For example... If the idea of keeping Shabbos, just remember that God rested on the seventh day, no problem, I'll put up a big sign, and don't, don't forget that God rests on the seventh day, and leave me alone with all the 39 malachas, Boer and Bishel and, you know, this and that and the other, tying shoes, all the rest of it. Why should I do all that? I'll just remember God rested on the seventh day, and we should uh, never forget it. If the purpose of keeping kosher is to keep away from bad foods, as some of the rationalistic medieval commentators assert, then just get United States Department of Agriculture. Just make sure the food is healthy. And what do you got to keep kosher, let alone your day and all the thousand laws of this, that, and the other? This is the problem with rationalistic interpretation. As soon as you tell me you know the reason, you killed the mitzvah. Because the person says, I can skip doing the mitzvah and just go for the reason behind it. And Shlomo Elch is accused of having done that. And I'm not doing exact justice to the full and rich story in the Medrash, but that's what it boils down to. And he didn't realize, they say, that... No, if you live the life of a Donald Trump, you will become a Donald Trump. You understand? If you live the life of the rich and famous, with Yarbelo Noshim, Yarbelo Susim, Yarbelo Kesavizov, and all the rest of it, you will change. Uh, and to think that one will not change is as silly as the waitress who says, if I win the Powerball lottery, I'm going to report to work, just like I do every day, I'll just put all the money in the bank. You're going to be a different person. So that's one case. And then, by the way, that's how they explain the Pusik that Shlomo Melch says in his old age. Book of Koelis, Poinisani Liros is a Chachma Vaholis Vesichlis. I saw wisdom that leads to stupidity. That is to say, when you think you're so smart, that can lead you to uh, terrible and stupid, even stupid mistakes, to, even on the part of, of geniuses and brilliant people. <clears throat> the Medrash goes on to say, it can also apply to Moshe Rabbeinu, which is no gay, obviously, to Parshas Veira. And why? Because you and I know when we read Parshas Veira, it's a continuation of the previous Parsha. And what happened over there? Moshe goes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, not only will I not let them go, I'll make it harder than before. 
I'll double the bricks and cut the straw. People have to work harder. And that's what happens. Whereupon terrible suffering ensues. The leaders of the Jews go to Moshe and Aaron. They say, what are you trying to kill us? You made our life terrible. You've given the Egyptians a sword to kill us with these new harsh uh, slavery policies. And Moshe feels terrible. And he loses and he screams at God. Why do you make things so bad for? Why do you send me anyway? As soon as I started speaking, you made it worse. That's not fair. You didn't save anybody. The Moshe coming with Tana's under Vodashalom. And the Medish goes on to point out that he had no reason to do this because back at the burning bush, God told him up front, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a while. Uh, Pharaoh will not say yes in the beginning. I will harden his heart. I'll bring all kinds of miracles. But in the end, it'll have a happy ending. The Jews will leave. And I would point out, if you take a look at the parshas, 10 months after Moshe makes his first appearance, for Paro, the Jews are gone. The, the slavery is over. So it's quite a remarkable story. So if Moshe was told this at the very beginning, why did he go crazy and scream at God and all the rest of it? So uh, that's a very interesting question. The Medrash puts it this way, The Medrash Adin screamed at Moshe, meaning the Medrash Adin wanted to, wanted to kill him for speaking in such a disrespectful tone and blasphemous and all the rest of it. But then, this is like a Hasidic word, but it's in the Medrash Rao. It says, but then... Hashem said like this, the reason he's questioning me is not out of arrogance, he's questioning me out of empathy. He couldn't see the Tsar of Israel when Moshe Rabbeinu saw the babies being killed and the elders suffering double labor to what they had before. It was so terrible, so painful for the Jews, his sense of obvious Israel overwhelmed him and he forgot what he'd been told the burning bush and he just screamed at God and said, how can you do this? Look what, this is just terrible. So since he was motivated by humanitarian reasons, obviously Israel, as I said before, so Hashem said, all right, that's okay. I never came Moshe, look how you talked back to me. Eh, it's okay. I see the reason you're doing it is because you really, because of, 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 you can't stand to suffer him, call Yisrael. I'll give you the Midas HaRachman. So we see two cases where human beings, smart human beings, question God on the basis that God's actions made no sense to them, so they applied a rationalistic critique of how God runs the world. And uh, in either, in both cases, it turned out that the humans were uh, wrong. Uh, the only thing is God responded to each one in a different way. And uh, I can say this, if you study the book of Shmos, which among other things is a description of the religious development of Moshe Rabbeinu himself, he starts out at a young age. By Yarbis civil son, when he leaves Pharaoh's palace and he tries to figure out why are the Jews suffering and why would God bring such terrible pains upon these people? What could they have done to deserve this? And in the beginning, he thinks it's because of Lush and Har, because when the Dos and Aviram say, We're going to tell on you. Rashi says, Now I know what the sin is of the Jews, it's Lush and Har. That's nice for a Vart, but look at all the terrible. Uh, oppression and uh, human uh, the tragedy that was going on uh, is it equal to Lashar? Moshe Rabbeinu never gets over this if you read through the book of Shmos as we know he eventually does the ten plagues he leads the Jews out of Egypt he splits the Red Sea, takes them out Sinai he get the Torah pronounced to Moshe on Shavuos he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights he comes down with the two tablets he sees them making a golden calf uh, God is very angry. He says, get out of my way. I'm going to kill them all. And Moshe pleads and won't let go. 
until he changes God's mind, which freaks him out. He can't believe that it was a successful plea. And since he's on a roll, and he pulled off what is truly a remarkable achievement in getting God to agree not to wipe out the Jews, he says, right? Remember he says, Show me how you really operate, O Lord, which Rashi says very famously, Explain to me why the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. Meaning, I don't understand the world. From a rational point of view, it doesn't make any sense. If there's one God who created the whole world, why don't you make it a better world? Why are the Tzadikim the ones who are always suffering and the Rasham the ones who are always prospering? And what does God say? It's none of your business. I'm not going to answer you. You can see my face. You cannot. I'm sorry. You can't see my face. You can only see my back. Which means you, uh, I'm not going to explain it to you. And it's a very deacon complex uh, uh, issue because it kind of assumes that God is subject to, what shall I say, a logical analysis, and you know, I don't want to get into this, but God created the concept of logical analysis, and therefore he can't be subject to it. That's the problem with all created things and ideas. But at the basic level, it shows you the problematic, the chazal, in their way, are, are presenting what they regard as the problematic of rationalism. Uh, they're not opposed to rationality, they're opposed to rationalism, it seems. Rationality is simple common sense. You don't jump off a cliff, you don't jump in front of a running car, you don't jump into a fire. That's called, you don't drink poison. That's rationality. Rationalism is the is the belief system that says all phenomena, without exception, can be subject to rational interpretation. That already in religion is a, is a, is a problematic business. And uh, Judaism has never had a great time with that and, and goes back, according to Chazal, to Shlomo Melch and in a different way to Moshe Rabbeinu. The paradox of rationalism, especially when applied to the Torah, is as follows. The Torah is either a divine document or it isn't. If it isn't, then forget it. But if it is, if it is, then it's timeless. When you, even if you're the Rambam or anybody, are saying, I am going to give you the best, most rational and common sense and logical interpretation of the Torah, what you're doing is you're saying the Torah is stuck forever in the year 2019, which I'm speaking now, or if you're the Rambam, 1158 uh, or something like that. Meaning that you, in your particular time and place where you live, have reached the peak of all human knowledge, all human experience and wisdom. And with that supreme plateau of human intellectual perfection, we can now analyze and understand what the Torah is talking about. But we who live in the 21st century, unlike Maimonides who live in the 12th century, know that change is a constant. The science of today will be a joke by tomorrow and certainly the year after that. The ideas that are considered absolutely unchallengeable will be challenged and overturned oh, within a generation for sure, and certainly beyond that. So anytime you talk to me about the common sense or rational interpretation of what the Torah is saying, what you're doing is you're freezing it according to the time that you live in. If you're Shimshur Falvarsh, for example, you'll say the Torah can be understood within the context of 19th century thinking. If the Rambam is there, you think the Torah can be understood within the context of 12th century thinking. Uh, they were great people in their time, but this is the 21st century. So it's like a paradox. On the one hand, you don't want to be a dumbbell. And a person with a mind doesn't want to just wake up in the morning, uh, but, you know, go to shul, put on your tefillin, if you're a lady, a bench lift, just shut up, don't ask any questions, and keep going till you die. Inquiring minds want to know. We have a mind. We want to use it. So it's very unsatisfying at a deep level just to look at the mitzvahs and the meaning of the Torah and just uh, take it, you know, without thinking it through. And yet at the same time, paradoxically, once you think it through and you think you have the explanation, 
if you don't pinch yourself and say this is time bound, so this is a temporary explanation, this is rationalistic interpretation from the point of view of where life and nature and knowledge and science are holding at this moment, but it's subject to reinterpretation on some other uh, occasion, and most rationalists don't do that. Uh, if you don't, then you're dooming yourself to, to freezing your interpretation of the Torah in um, the time that you come up with this idea in, in the generation in which you live, and it's fundamentally flawed. So that's what I call the paradox. It's kind of an existential paradox of rationalistic interpretation of the, of the Scripture. Uh, there's a lot more to say in this subject, but I see the hours late, and as I say before here, I'm in Tina, got to get ready for Shabbos. So we will continue this conversation perhaps on some later date. Have a good Shabbos. Bye. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.